It's rarely talked about in books, magazines, TV shows, or podcasts, but it's one of the most important aspects in all of angling. What is this important topic? It's boat control, and we're going to talk about that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Brought to us once again by Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at one of 136 stores nationwide or at sportsmans.com. We appreciate that very much if you enjoy our content. Also check out Peterson Toyota and all the fine folks at Berkeley and Abu Garcia. Guys, it's spring, it's May. Been fishing almost every day. And actually, let me rephrase that. I have been fishing every day. And I'm running behind on getting podcasts done, and I'm running behind on getting a lot of other things done, but it's because of the time of year when we need to be in a boat. I'm gearing up for guide trips. By the way, if you want to book a guide trip with us, uh, you can do that at fishfulthinker.com. I'd love to take you out. We have, uh, we have spent a lot of time in and around the water. And interestingly enough, it's been a very, very windy spring here. And I don't know where you're listening from, but here in Colorado, it has been a very bumpy spring. It is uh, May 5th. Actually, happy Cinco de Mayo, people. It is May 5th today. Uh, it's been blowing and yucky, and the water's still cold, and this, that, and the other. So the fundamentals come into play the worst conditions the fishing is. And what I've noticed the last couple of days of being on the lake is people being out of control with their boats. And I'm not talking about fundamentally out of control as in, you know, can't get it down the boat ramp, can't drive it down the lake. That's not what I'm referencing at all. When I'm talking about boat control, I'm talking about the control of the boat while you're actually fishing. And furthermore, for the sake of this podcast, the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to be referencing boats, kayaks, and paddle boards, and, and, and maybe even, um, you know, float tubes. Because if it floats and you're in it, you need to be able to control it to fish from it. And that sounds pretty easy. And a bunch of you are going to tune this podcast out right here. But I can tell you from guiding for many, many years in tournament fishing, and one of the things about tournament fishing is you often do draw tournaments where I'm a random pairing with another guy who I don't have any idea who he is or how he fishes. I might get put in his boat, and therefore I'm subject to how he controls that boat. And I've also got to fish with lots and lots and lots of fishing guides around the country. And what I notice is, by and large, fishing guides are very good at boat control because we can concentrate on it. Meaning that it, we're, in most cases, not actually fishing so much as we're controlling the boat so you, the client, can fish. And therefore, we can really focus on one thing, and that is controlling the boat. And it sounds easy. It really does. You think, oh, it's intuitive. It's no problem. Boat just floats along. It's not a problem. But really, it is a problem because the boat is sitting in a fluid medium. And being that it's a fluid medium, it's obviously uh, relatively, let's just say, uh, dynamic in its uh, in its you know day to day activities. It's going to move with the wind. It's going to move with the waves. Uh, it's going to move with current flow, all of that. Additionally, the boat, which is floating in a fluid medium, is also affected by a fluid medium, meaning the air above it. And that air is going to push the boat around. And it's going to push, depending on your boat, it's going to push one end of your boat worse than the other. Or, um, you know, it just affects how the boat sits in the water and how the boat is 
in relation to whatever it is you're trying to fish also dictates how your casting goes and all of that, your line control and things like that. And if you're a fan of fishful thinker at all, you know that we preach accuracy and line control above all else. But I could probably expand that and say if you're a boat fisherman, because accuracy and line control applies no matter what kind of fisherman you are. I don't care who you are. It's, it applies to everybody including shore guys. But if you're a boat fisherman, I could argue that boat control is almost as important or more important than the other things. Because if your boat is out of shape, you are not an efficient angler. And by that, I mean a couple of things. What do I mean by out of shape? A couple of key things. One, your casting angles. You've got your boat either too far, too close, or at the wrong angle to fish whatever it is you're going to fish. Now, Intuitively, you're going to say, well, I don't fish banks. I fish offshore. Well, maybe you're fishing a drop-off. Maybe you're fishing a rock pile. Maybe you're fishing a brush pile. Maybe you're whatever it is. You might be fishing who knows what offshore, but you still need to keep your boat in the right relation to that piece of structure or cover so that you can make accurate casts to it or past it, as the case might be. Uh, that's more difficult than it sounds. And I can tell you from dealing with a lot of people that I fish with that are weekenders, they'll spend more time fighting their boat or having their boat out of shape because they don't realize they need to be fighting it uh, than they will being in a, in a perfect condition to be always in a casting angle or position. One of the things I can tell you for sure about fishing with some high-level BASS and, and MLF guys, and I've fished with a bunch of them over the years, is their boat is never out of shape. Those guys' boats are always where they need to be in relation to the cover, in relation to the structure, in relation to whatever bank line it is, or drop off, or contour line, or, or you know, shell bed, offshore shell bed, or whatever it is, they know their angles. But it's harder than people think, and it's just not something that people really focus on. So let's talk about a couple of the key aspects and how I try to address them. And it doesn't really matter if I'm in a kayak, a canoe, a float tube, uh, you know, a paddleboard. I like to fish off stand-up paddleboards or, or my big Ranger bass boat. The concepts are all the same. And so all other things being equal, let's just break down certain scenarios. First of all, a, a perfect scenario for fishing is the boat not moving at all in a lot of cases. And that just gives you the most opportunity for being as thorough and precise as possible in your uh, presentation. So the boat not moving at all is an ideal scenario because then all of the nuances in your presentations come down to you and not to the, not to the boat itself. The only way, in my experience, to get a boat to sit 100% still, though, is to anchor it in some way, shape, or form. And that can be inefficient in a lot of ways because then you anchor and unanchor and anchor and unanchor and da-da-da-da-da. So a lot of us like to keep the boat unanchored and moving. Now, I'm going to tell you right away, that got a lot easier on everybody when the GPS anchor uh, came out. And... You may refer to it as spot lock or whatever it might be, but long story short, you hit a button on your boat and the trolling motor will do everything it can to keep that boat within a three-foot circle, uh, that trolling motor within a three-foot circle of where it is. The boat will still pivot round and round and round that trolling motor if the wind is, is not consistent or the current is not consistent, but it will still keep the trolling motor in the same spot. So that is a form of anchoring, and that's obviously only available to a big modern you know, equipped uh, fishing boat of some sort, bass boat, walleye boat, whatever, with an electronic motor on it. 
Another possibility for anchoring is a physical uh, pole anchor of some sort, like a power pole or a Minn Kota Talon, uh, which are hydraulic or mechanical anchors of some sort that will deploy off the back of the boat and impale the bottom of the lake. That's fantastic. I have them on my Ranger boat, and I have for years and years, and they work very well, but they have limitations also. Uh, just like the GPS anchor, which may go round and round, um, or may not be able to hold in heavy enough current, something like that, a physical shallow water anchor will only go 8 or 10 feet deep. There's some specialized ones that are longer than that, but 99% of the fishing boats out there have a 6, 8, or 10 foot long pole, or two of them on the back. If you have only one of them, you can use your trolling motor in conjunction with it to hold the boat in one spot. If you have two of them, you can anchor the boat pretty solidly. But the, the limitation or the caveat is that the water can't be any deeper than about eight or nine feet, even with 10-foot poles, because the poles need to be able to bite a little bit into the bottom. They need to be able to impale the bottom a little bit to actually hold the boat. So... Power poles are another good opportunity. Your shallow water anchors are a good, good opportunity to fish very precisely, very thoroughly. And in fact, they're probably my favorite. If I can use them, if I'm in shallow enough water that I can use my shallow water anchors, I would rather use those than any other form of anchoring because there's nothing running. There's no whirling trolling motor noise underneath there. And yes, fish can hear your trolling motor. I hate to break it to you, but yes, they can hear the prop on your trolling motor uh, and they can hear it very well. So the, the prop on your trolling motor is not uh, ideal, so I'd rather have a shallow water anchor if I can do that. If I can't do that, another possibility, obviously, is a traditional anchor. Uh, again, it gets more complex, more time-consuming, more dirty, uh, less precise than some of the other things. So anchoring is really, to me, uh, maybe a 20% of the time, 30% of the time that I'm fishing over a course of a normal season, I might be on anchor. And... I would say the majority of that time is when I'm on a GPS anchor because it's not so often that I'm fishing in water so shallow that I can just continuously use the shallow water anchors. If you have a small boat, let's say you have even a paddleboard these days, or you have a kayak, all the rage, they make shallow water anchors for kayaks now. And they're just basically a smaller version of the same system that's on the back of the big ranger boat, and it will impale the bottom works very good. I made a, a basically redneck version, let's just say, using some bamboo and used them for my 11-foot Coleman crawdad. And I have just a ring that I clip on any one of the four corner handles on the Coleman crawdad. On the other end of that, it's just got a, um, a carabiner. And on the other end of that is just a big uh, split ring, great big, like two and a half inch diameter split ring. And then I run my bamboo through it and stick it in the bottom. And that then will hold my little 11 foot boat in one spot and allow me to fish. It's not quite as easy as the hydraulic ones on the Ranger boat, but it's also way lighter in weight. And obviously we don't even need to talk about the expense involved. So it is a very, very simple way to anchor my little boat. And again, it supersedes the electric motor as an anchor process. Uh, if you're on a paddleboard, same thing. You can do the same thing. I will tell you that a paddleboard, more than any other board, any other thing, needs an anchor if possible to be able to fish because even a small fish will pull you around on the paddleboard. And if you're fishing for very big fish, 
you get taken out to the middle of the lake by a big fish without you know a lot a lot of effort involved because you can't paddle and fish at the same time you can't stand there and hold against the fish you can dangle your legs over the side and give yourself a slowdown point but you can't really hold so whenever i'm fishing off of the paddleboard i pretty much always have a three pound anchor and I will drop that down and tie it off tight. And generally just the weight of the anchor, it doesn't actually have to bite into the bottom in most cases unless the wind's blowing. If the wind's blowing, I'm probably not paddleboard fishing at all. But if it's pretty calm out, that three pound anchor will hold it really well. And if you're gonna fish off your paddleboard, I strongly recommend you either get a little tiny anchor for it or you make one. I've seen guys fill um, like a Van de Kamp bean can with lead and put a uh, put a hook in it and then make that their anchor for their paddleboard but at any rate a paddleboard almost requires an anchor because you have no other way to control a paddleboard while you're fishing on it. in fact that'll probably be about the end of my conversation for controlling your paddleboard to fish off it because it's difficult to do so a lot of the kayaks these days have pedal drive systems of some sort uh, i like that system particularly the ones that are able to go backwards as well because you can hold yourself against your fish if you can if you need to or you can hold yourself in a breeze if you need to with using the paddle system so uh, or using the pedal system so that can work really slick for you uh, but that's a, a possibility there but if i don't have a pedal drive kayak then it's almost just important that i have the physical anchor for that thing as well because it's difficult again to paddle the kayak and deal with the fishing rod at the same time you'll waste too much time so that's my anchoring spiel and again anchoring is my first choice if it's viable and it's quick enough uh, or I'm going to fish a spot long enough but if I'm moving let's change gears completely and say we're not going to anchor at all now we're going to move if I'm going to move the boat then a couple of key things uh, we need to, we need to focus on one I need to keep my range from whatever it is I'm fishing uh, within uh, a consistent amount so that I can make consistent presentations so one of the first things I'll do every morning on a guide trip is figure out the most comfortable casting range for my customers I can watch them and figure out well these guys are good at making longer throws not so good at shorter throws or you know this little kid can't throw very far so we have to keep him close to the bank or whatever but I will find the optimum distance that the anglers can can throw and then i will keep them that distance from the targets i will focus all day on keeping my bass boat that distance from the targets so that they have their best uh, chance at making good presentations if i'm by myself in a boat that range may change a whole bunch because i might be changing presentations constantly back and forth and i'm also efficient at casting close far everywhere in between I find, <clears throat> excuse me, I find a lot of anglers are not. And therefore, it's important that they're, if they're only efficient in a small narrow, then I'm going to keep them in that narrow window. And that sounds easier than it is, but a lot of guys struggle with that as well. And here's the, here's the rub. If the wind is blowing perfectly down the bank in one direction or the other, or perfectly down whatever structure line or contour line or whatever it is you're fishing, well, then that's fine. You can line up on it and drift straight down it. You can get your distance from it and, and be fine. But that is a perfect scenario that does not exist very often. Usually, the wind is going to be blowing at some angle to your cover or your structure. And therefore, you're going to have to crab the boat to make that uh, stay. No different than a guy flying a Cessna 152 airplane might have to fly 10 degrees cockeyed because of the wind to, to make his course and his heading uh, or, or to make his course match where he wants to go. His heading is not going to be 
the same. He's going to have to deal with the wind. And the same thing with the boat. An easy way to do that in a full-size boat, and this is how I handle it on guide trips, and this is a big one. If you know you're going to be going down a bank and you know you've got the wind at a weird angle, I will use the big motor as effectively a rudder on the back of the boat. I will use the big gas motor and I'll steer it all the way to one side or the other, and that will force the tail of the boat off to one side as the boat drifts. In so doing, I can drift right down a bank and keep the boat at an angle to the bank so that the guy in the back of the boat can, can cast more parallel to the bank and the guy in the front of the boat's casting a little bit more perpendicular. But either way, both of those people have a casting angle. So the tail of the boat is always closer to the bank than the, than the bow. If you crab it the other way, the guy in the back of the boat, in other words, the back of the boat farther from the bank, the guy in the back of the boat has no casting angle, and that's effectively known as front-ending a guy, and that's not super popular. So the right answer is to crab the boat the other way. And so very, very commonly, and you don't see it on the TV show because I will jump down and do it, and we don't film it necessarily, but I will have the motor cranked one way or the other so that I can keep the boat moving at whatever angle I want it to in relation to the wind uh, in relation to my actual drift. And so that's really important. Another thing that's important is, am I going to drift versus fishing up wind? And in a perfect world, I would drift just fast enough that I could steer the boat lightly with the trolling motor or crab it lightly with the with the um, big motor. I don't usually have that scenario. Usually the wind's gonna blow hard enough that the boat is going too fast, and therefore you are going to make inefficient presentations. And let me tell you what happens if the boat's moving and you either aren't anticipating it's moving or you're not in control of its movement. What's gonna happen is you're gonna snag and lose a lot more tackle. If, it's, if your presentation has anything to do with the bottom of the lake or any ability to get to the bottom of the lake, you're going to lose more of it if the boat is moving because you've got two points. You've got a lure on one end and you on the other end holding on to it and a flexible thing in between known as fishing line. You won't be able to keep track of what exactly your lure is doing on the other end. So that doesn't mean I don't fish that way. It just means if I'm drifting the boat in a, at a relatively high rate of speed, I need very much to keep track of where my lures are and where my jigs are or I'm going to snag a lot of them. So that's important. So I'd rather fish upwind. The problem with fishing upwind, because if I'm fishing upwind, a couple things real quick. The trolling motor stays at the very front of the boat, obviously, for starters. So if you're setting up a small boat of some sort, like when I set up my Coleman Crawdad, it's only 11 feet long. I put motors at both ends, electric motors at both ends. And the reason is I can steer it from the front one to fish and the back one to drive it just like I would my big bass boat. But also just like my big bass boat, I have a keel at the back of the boat now so the boat behaves in a linear direction when it's under power with either motor going frontwards or backwards. Previously, when I had only a trolling motor on the back, it's not efficient to fish out of because the back of the boat, it's hard to, to be on the front, you can't control it. If you have only the motor on the front, every time you close the throttle on the motor and turn the motor off, the back of the boat wants to come around because there is no rudder. So by having a motor at both ends, it stabilizes. If you're going to have a motor only at one end, I would still put it on the front because that's easier to fish and you can get around the lake. Just understand every time you come to a stop, uh, it may not be an ideal scenario your boat's going to try to pass you because there's more resistance, more drag in the front of the boat with the little motor in the water than the back where there is no motor in the water. So that's important. 
I would rather, if I can, fish my way upwind because the nose of the boat uh, will stay at the front, assuming your trolling motor is at the front. Uh, for two, I have the best control. I can slide the boat left or right without moving forward very easily with the trolling motor if I'm steering it from the front. I can also spot lock it and it will stay in that one position because the wind will constantly blow the back of the boat to the back, so it'll stay right there or very close to right there. And oh, by the way, if I do happen to sink the shallow water anchors and the wind's blowing straight into the front of the boat, well then I don't get water splashing over the back of the boat. So for those reasons, I'd rather be facing up wind. The, the problem with that is it requires, if you're not gonna anchor, constant motor and therefore constant attending of that motor. So that's okay with a foot control trolling motor, uh, which is my strong preference. And I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna make a very unpopular decision or opinion right now. I'm gonna put it out there anyway, and a whole bunch of you guys are gonna think I'm on crack rock, but I'm gonna tell you anyway, I cannot stand a trolling motor that is only remote control with a hand remote. And I know a lot of guys love them. I can't because fishing is a two-handed sport. And you, unless you're very, very tuned into that remote control, you have to look at it as well. And you might have to look at the head of the motor too because you don't have any feel to know which way the motor's already pointing to know which way you need to go. So if the motor's not turned on, you can't feel it. And so if, if the motor's just sitting there not turned on at all and you need to go a direction, you want to blip the throttle and squirt the motor 10 feet one direction, you got to look at the motor and the remote and you got to let go of the fishing rod to do it. For these reasons, I want a foot control trolling motor all the time. And the, because I can feel it with my foot to know which way it's pointed, I can step on the gas pedal with my same foot to make it move without ever taking my hand off the rod or looking down. So I can make my presentation without taking my, my eyes off my targets or my line or whatever it is I'm watching. And I don't have to feel for the boat. So that's a strong preference I have right there. As a general rule, I want the boat to move just fast enough that by the time I'm finishing one retrieve, it's getting just far enough ahead that I need to make my next retrieve. So if I'm if I'm losing the last third of a retrieve, I'll slow the boat down. If the if the retrieve's getting back to the boat faster than, uh, than that and the boat hasn't moved far enough for the next cast, I'll speed the boat up. But it depends a little bit on how much the wind's blowing and how far apart I want my cast to be on the bank or on the structure I'm fishing. So if I'm throwing something like a lipless crankbait with a ton of rattles in it, I might make those casts 20 feet apart. If I'm throwing a jig, I might make those casts that are landing only three or four or five feet apart on the bank. And obviously the boat's going to move faster with the lipless crankbait than it will with that jig. So the speed of your boat should match the speed of your presentation. That's a big thing as well. Um, what I find with most people is slower is much easier for them to fish, just for the record. So if in doubt, slow it down because you'll be more thorough and less chance of snagging stuff up. Uh, with the boat going slow. Now, I also want to throw out one more quick thing here. I'm not referencing a lot of trolling stuff here. And obviously, most of what I'm talking about goes out the window with trolling. However, boat control is still a major issue with trolling. And it's something that should be addressed. It's also something that yours truly sucks at. And therefore, I'm not qualified to address for you. Um, I know guys that are. So if you have questions about boat control for trolling, talk to some of those guys. I am not a troller but I will happily refer you to somebody who is that can answer those questions. So I want to throw that caveat out there. I am a caster, if at all possible. So uh, back to boat control. The, the 
amount of turns and things that you're doing with a boat um, as you zigzag your way down the bank tells me how control you are in or out of out of control of your boat. When I see a boat that's very fluidly watching a shoreline or working a shoreline, I know that guy's in control. When the front end's swinging left and right and every which way, one cast, he's 20 feet from the bank, the next one he's 40 feet from the bank. Uh, again, I know the guy's not in control. And then most of the time when I see guys doing that, it's when they have handheld uh, hand-controlled trolling motors, again, because they have to let go of the trolling motor to fish and conversely let go of the fishing rod to control the trolling motor, and therefore they don't do either very well. So that's a key thing. The foot control will help you a lot with that. The biggest thing to keep in mind with boat control is that it's a major issue. Uh, so let's talk about some basic fundamental things of why it could be a major issue. One, boat control can also be how fast it is that you approach targets. If you get if you're coming up, let's say you're you're at Glendale Reservoir and you're going to fish the trees for walleye. Well, if you get moving too fast through those trees, you'll bounce off a lot of stuff for one. For two, it takes more trolling motor uh, RPMs to stop the boat or steer the boat in that scenario. The faster your trolling motor is spinning, the more vibration it's putting off in the water, and you happen to be in shallow water because those trees are in shallow water, which means you have more chance of spooking fish. So if I'm in shallow water, I will be even sneakier with my boat, quieter, slower, and sneakier than if I'm in open water. Same thing if it's very calm and quiet out. I will be very judicious with the trolling motor throttle, like keep the thing down on two, three, or four power, versus if it's windy or I'm in deeper water, I don't care so much because the motor can make more noise because the environment is more noisy. So again, I won't be quite as sneaky in that scenario. If I'm fishing in the dark, I want to try to stay off the trolling motor altogether. So that's a, a, a key kind of if-then logic is uh, if at all possible and I'm in the dark because fish in the dark are very comfortable but also very shallow. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. Uh, as far as best practices go, uh, I would rather approach targets with the sun on the opposite side of the target. If I'm going to be target fishing, I don't want the sun at my back. This is a really big one if you're fishing close to banks or the sun's low in the sky and you're making a big shade line because there is nothing that puts fish off faster in my experience than a shade line going over the top of their head. So if you're going down, you know, pulling up on a beaver hut you're going to fish or this dock you're going to fish and all of a sudden you're, you and your boat cast a big shadow over what you're going to fish, you might as well go somewhere else and fish. Now somebody's going to say, well, they love shadows. I catch them out of shadows all the time. Well, yeah, if your shadow is stationary. But if your shadow is moving, it's no different than a flashing light in the dark. They're not in on that. They love a dock light, but they're not in on a light bouncing around on the bank on a, on a, on a flashlight. So same thing with the shade line. If, you're, if you've got sun and you've got bright sun, you want to keep that shade line off of the, the stuff you're trying to fish, your own shade. As soon as you cast shade on them, they're spooked for sure. Again, the same thing with the trolling motor. The, the, the closer the cover, the closer the quarters I am to the fish, more important it is to be quiet. I learned this one very much, very, very rudely, unfortunately, when we all got live sonar. Live sonar, I'm looking at a willow bush. As I'm sneaking up on this willow bush, I got the trolling motor on like eight, but I'm a cast length and a half back from this willow bush that I really need to be a half a cast length from to fish. So I'm coming cruising in with a full head of steam. The bass left the willow bush every time I tried to do that, unless I came sneaking in at like two power on the trolling motor, 
and went real quiet, sneaking up on the bush. And I would have never known that. I would have just assumed there was no fish in that bush if I hadn't been able to watch them on the, in the, on the Lawrence live sonar stuff and be able to see the fish leave as I'm sneaking up on them. So if you're going to be sneaking up on fish in visible cover, do it with your trolling motor on low, 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 if at all possible. You don't want to come in there also with enough head of steam that you have to turn the trolling motor backwards to stop the boat because then all the prop wash that you just made is going straight into the cover. And it may not spook the fish per se, but it's definitely going to disrupt them and it's definitely going to scatter them. And that's not what you want. You want comfortable, relaxed fish. They're the easiest ones to catch. So try to not blow your prop wash on top of whatever it is you're doing. That can be very important. The other thing to keep in mind is um, because the boat has no brakes at all, your only scenario is to come in very, very quietly and uh, I will make my cast on my way in while the boat is drifting. Before I even stop the trolling motor, I'll try to make my first cast or two uh, such that I can get there. Uh, to that target, into the sweet spot of that target without having hit the trolling motor by the time I got there. In a perfect world, I would drop the shallow water anchors behind me uh, and stop the boat that way if the water is shallow enough. But again, it's not always that way. So you don't want to turn the trolling motor backwards and squirt the fish with a bunch of prop wash and then expect to still catch those same fish. So that's another important thing to keep in mind. At the end of the day, what it comes down to for me with boat control is most importantly being cognizant of it. So in the national, I coached the high school national championship years ago and I won it. And one of the things, you're beating a lot of teams, you're beating 275 teams and you can't coach the kids per se. You can't give them specific advice during the course of a fishing day uh, while they're fishing because it's up to them. I have to call a timeout if I want to give them, just like a football game, I have a certain number of timeouts and a mandatory halftime. That's the only time I can coach those kids is during that timeout or those halftimes. So we set up with the kids to where I said one thing during practice. If I mentioned to them, use your tools, that's all it was, use your tools. If I say that, both kids in the boat that I'm coaching know that there's a key thing in play, and that is boat control. And so all it is, when I tell them, use your tools, it's not give them any specific advice. It's just consider the overall the situation. And so basically what that means is do I the kid's brain should immediately go to, do I need the trolling motor, the big motor, or the shallow water anchors in this scenario right now to control the boat? In other words, me as a coach, can recognize that the boat is not in perfect control or there needs to be an adjustment to the control of the boat, but I can't tell them what that needs to be. I can only get them to think about it. So that's how important it is that I came up with code. Okay, Ryan, use your tools. And Ryan will think for a quick second and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we're drifting on this dock. I need to stop the power poles and get us to stop before we get too close to this dock or whatever the case might be. So that's how important boat control is to the point of having code words to win the national championship. And it was very important for us when it came time to, to do that. There was about twice or three times each day where I would say that and one of the two kids would figure out what I was referencing pretty quick and get the boat back under control. And it was a great way to, to go about that. So it's very important to me. And if, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, it's consistent. Consider the control of the boat. Consider your distance from where you are. Do I approach it from downwind or upwind? Do I 
can I fish upwind or downwind even if I'm not approaching something? Uh, where's the sun in relation to where I'm casting and the shadow that I'm, I'm creating? Uh, how much battery am I burning versus maybe not? Like in my big ranger, I can burn batteries all day. It's not a problem. But in my little Coleman crawdad, I've got about two hours of high and about four hours total of trolling motor batteries. So I need to be cognizant. I can still fish six hours if I'm very gentle on the trolling motor battery. So it's those kinds of things that make it part of the game. And like I said, there, if you look at my ranger boat, um, what is it? Better than 10% of the value, more than that, almost 30% of the value of the boat is controlling the boat, whether it be the big motor, the electric motor, the power poles, uh, the GPS systems, all of those things come together to control that boat. It's literally a third of the cost of most of the boat, and that should tell you how important boat control is in the first place. That's also why I said the paddleboard is the most difficult to control because it has the least ways to do it. The more ways you have to control the boat, the easier your life's going to be as an angler, but also the more complicated your life's going to be as an angler, and the more you need to consider them and understand that it might take more than one of them at the same time to keep the boat in perfect control all the time. But I'm going to tell you this. If you consider boat control and practice being good at it, you'll find it will definitely catch you more fish. And probably more importantly than that, it will help you lose a lot less tackle. And in this day and age with the economy the way it is, last thing we need to be doing is losing tackle that we don't have to lose. So I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. If you'd like to join the conversation on the rest of our social media at Fishful Thinker, please do that. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, of course, our YouTube channel, and on World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports Entertainment. We'd appreciate that very much if you check in and see what we're up to. If you want to book a guide trip, you can do that at fishfulthinker.com. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.